This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We have the best U.S. senator uh, New York ever had. Uh, give us a description. So Alphonse, everybody knows Alphonse D'Amato. He actually was the last Republican senator representing New York State. And maybe he'll be the last. We don't know. Is that 100 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't as long as you'd think, oh, no, John. No, no, no. Gillibrand's coming up. Come on. Yes, that's right. 2024. <laughs> so I'm wondering, do the Republicans see her as easy pickings because she doesn't really show up anywhere? Doesn't show up. We never What's see her done? on Long Island. I, I hate to say it. I haven't it. seen her. I think she may have a difficult time in a Democratic primary. And I'm Do you? Ah, wait, wait. I will tell you something. Call. Everybody's salivating. I will not let you guys forget. Who, when Gilda Brand became U.S. Senator, who was standing next to her? Uh, Alphonse D'Amato. Alphonse. That helped make her U.S. US Senator. Are you, guess are you appointed her U.S. Senator? <laughs> oh, that's oh, Governor Patterson, who's Governor in the studio. Patterson appointed right. Governor Patterson Now, you're going to give We're... us the inside scoop, Governor Patterson. <laughs> well, I want to know from the these two gentlemen. Made her, he appointed her, and when she was in college, she... Uh, worked with us during the summer up in Albany. I know her dad. He's a wonderful guy. And uh, he was a dear friend, still is a good friend. And uh, she was uh, a great lawyer, I understand. She worked for all the uh, cigarette companies defending them. Oh. <laughs> let me let me oh. say this to you. Um, I think uh, she leaves a lot to be desired as it relates to being a senator from New York. And, and I had the great opportunity of working with one of the greatest, and, and that was Pat Moynihan. And, oh, yeah. and let me let me tell you, um, back in 1992, I think it was. Yeah. Um, um, <clears throat> what happened was we passed uh, a bill in the Senate that would have given certain tax uh, advantages. Uh, um, to Smith Corona, which was the largest typewriter manufacturer well, what's, what's a typewriter? in the world. <laughs> in the world. And, and, and so w- what happens, we pass that bill, and they, and they don't pass it in the House. They drop it, and I won't tell you why. It was stupid. Well, I'll tell you why, because a um, congressman from Tennessee uh, got to the speaker, who was a Democrat from Chicago, and uh, he said, listen, if we kill this bill, they're going to send the typewriters up to Tennessee where we have a warehouse where we're going to warehouse them. So instead of having 3,000, uh, and remember, 1992, 3,000 jobs in upstate New York, good-paying jobs outside of Syracuse, that was it was a heartbreaker. Is that before Xerox and, and Kodak went bankrupt? Oh, no, no, no. Kodak didn't go bankrupt. But let, let, let me tell you what takes place. Um, uh, they obviously moved to Mexico. Okay, we lost the jobs. I went down to the Senate floor and started a filibuster. I think it's the third longest in the history of the Senate. At two o'clock in the morning. You know who comes down to join me in this filibuster? Pat Moynihan. Mm. Because it was, we were fighting for jobs in New York. And it wasn't because I was a Republican. He's a Democrat. I'm not going to help. No, no. He joined with me and stood on the floor. We stood there till 
one o'clock. I think I was there 15 or 16 hours. But that's the kind of team work we had. And it doesn't exist anymore. And let me tell you about teamwork that worked for this country. You know, the last time the federal budget was uh, balanced was 1998. I was in the Senate. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, And let me tell you, it was liberal president. Bill Clinton and conservative uh, Republican leader in the House, the speaker, was Newt Gingrich. The two of them got together. They put this petty partisan nonsense. I was going to say the RAP, but I didn't because John Gibbs had said when I use language like that. Um, so, Alphonse, do you think uh, something similar is possible now with Biden and McCarthy? They're having a similar conversation it, right now. It is more necessary today than ever before. That was the last balanced budget we put together. Um, um, and we can begin. You can't do it overnight because, you know, you've got a $32 trillion accumulated deficit. We have a, a one a trillion dollar deficit built into this budget, uh, but we can begin to reduce the size of this deficit coming up for the next year. Uh, you don't eliminate it, but you can begin to reduce it. And then for the following years, you got to start. And if we start, we can certainly do it. And, and, and if we don't, we are facing a disaster. By the way, that is thirty-two trillion. That's a, over a hundred thousand dollars of citizens, mm. huh? And, I mean, and, and growing. It will kill our economy if we continue this. And you don't go ahead and say, "Oh, well, we're going to cut Social Security. We're going to cut this. We're going to." No, there are programs. There are ways. There are programs that can be deferred. And and you don't do it in one year or two years. It'll take a period of time. But if we start moving in that direction, this economy will get stronger. We will be better. And if we don't do it, we're facing a disaster. So, so we, we, had a fif- that- we had a fifteen uh, trillion dollar debt in nineteen uh, in two thousand and eight, and yep. since then it has tripled. The 30, 15 years, it's $32 trillion in 15 and, years. And, and spending the way we are spending, uh, we're just going to double this debt and, 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 and within a short period of time. And it is absolutely incredible. And no, oh, we can't do it. No, you can either take this or nothing. Biden, wake up, you jackass. He won't say CRAP, but he'll say that. See what Bill Clinton did? Bill Clinton Clinton had common sense. Common sense for the people. And by the way, you'll be doing something that's right for the people, and politically it's going to help you. So some of the ultra-crazy liberals who say don't work with the conservative Republicans, that's the problem today. You don't have it. Like like where I had Pat Moynihan, who I could work with. Chris Dodd, who over in Connecticut, we could work together. Uh, Joe Lieberman from Connecticut, Democrats. Yeah, it was we common worked. sense. Uh, the, the Senate is supposed to be the elder statesman of, of our country and it's supposed to work together. I worked with a lot of 
uh, uh, Democratic Congress people, too. Uh, the congressman from Tennessee. That's how we were able to clear up the now, valley. You, you started talking about Moynihan. What president of the United States did he work for? Yeah. Okay. Richard but, Nixon. But, yeah. For two years, so, he was doing the domestic policy. Wow. Now, well, more coming together. Don't attack Biden stuff. I'm not going to sit down the list. Now, he was better. Uh, and, and, and what's his name when he came out? Was a gentleman. He said that the president was open, and that's a good start. And now they got to get their staffs beginning to work together. So fine. Out, out of trillions of dollars, you mean to tell me you can't make cuts? You can't find $100 billion, $200 billion, $300 billion out of all of this money? And I'll tell you this. Um, our problems on the southern border, we know how bad they are. They're terrible. But do you know what's happened? They have taken half of the manpower that was up on the Canadian border and sent it down south. And now you only have one guard for every 50 miles. And now you are getting thousands of people coming over the Canadian border. Okay? And what's happening? The, the, drug, the, the drug dealers, the smugglers, the human uh, traffickers, they, they they learn where to move and how to go. And so now we're having problems that we're, we're going to see grow and grow in the north. Wake up, Joe. Wake up Senator. And, and get a bill passed that protects the United States and our borders and our citizens. We all agree with you. Senator, did you see the reason there was no red wave? It came out a couple of days ago, and I'm not sure everybody's seen it, but I, I said it before, but I'm going to say it again. Twenty-six million applications were filed for the refund of uh, college tuition. the student college student tuition. Twenty-six million. So yep. that's that's another, you know. The Democrats say, vote for us. We're going to give you back each $10,000 for 26 million people. Young people people showed up. And you know how many young people showed up in those key states. That's what really happened. It certainly made a difference in many because Republicans lost about 15, 10 or 15 seats uh, by one percentage point or less. I mean, I mean, it was. Well, but not in New York. And, you know, to go back to where we started this conversation, we have uh, Kirsten Gillibrand up for reelection next year. Do you think there is any possibility for that seat to go Republican? And I asked that to uh, to Dave Patterson, David Patterson. Well, I, I think it depends <laughs> on uh, whether there is. And I believe there will be. And you got the guy who could probably who? be much who, who do you think it's going to be? A Democratic primary. And if there's a Democratic primary, she may not even be the candidate. Uh-huh. David, what do you think, Governor? What do you think, David? I think that uh, she could have a difficult primary. When I, uh, when I first selected her, first of all, I was looking to replace Hillary Clinton with a woman. And I was looking to do that because uh, if, one of the people who I really thought... Tell, tell us admit, the truth. Did Alphonse uh, kick you and say, make sure you 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 put in Gildebrand? Yes, he did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alphonse, the, the, the New York Post. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
Every front page tomorrow. But uh, she had won in Republican districts as a Democrat. That's what she was kind of known for yeah. when she was in Congress. So I thought also she was, I think, 42 years old at the time. So, you know, in a year where more young people came out to vote and in a year where, uh, you know, the the you know, in 2008, when President Obama was elected, I thought this was a good candidate for, uh, at the time. Um, within a year, she suggested that I might have to resign. So, uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't uh, resign. And, um, wow. Alphonse, Loyal we got, uh, Senator DeMato, we got one minute left. What do you want to tell the people of the, uh, the whole country? Uh, now is the time to have our leaders come together and reduce the deficit so that we don't have a national crisis. So we don't have to get into all of these things that, which are going to shake the stock market, not be good for the country, not make us look good. And, and um, it's going to cost us jobs. It, it's going to hurt. Eventually they'll settle. But they should work on reducing the size of the deficit in, in the coming budgets, work together collaboratively, and put aside the petty partisanship that exists we, today. We all the agree. Be the, be, be the senior spoke. The Senate should be the senior spokesman of our country. Thank you, Alphonse D'Amato, and you were one of the greatest senators New York has ever had. And uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Nicole Maliotakis, Congresswoman, is on the line. So, Nicole, it's been pretty busy. We've had a busy beginning of term. Um, and today, the big news is Ilhan Omar getting kicked off the uh, Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, that's correct. I just actually got back to New York City from Washington, and uh, today we uh, finally did remove her. And I'll say this. I've been pushing for this for two years. I served on the Foreign Affairs Committee with Ilan Omar, and I was present when she uh, said some things that I found very disturbing. Uh, first of all, you know, to compare uh, Israel and the United States to Hamas and the Taliban, that's very inappropriate. Uh, and it's also inappropriate to uh, blame the United States of America for the turmoil in Venezuela at the hands of uh, the oppressors, uh, Hugo Chavez and Nicolas Maduro, communism and socialism, and their um, dictatorial regimes that should be blamed, not the United States of America. And then uh, as a New Yorker, the fact that she uh, belittled, she tried to diminish the worst terrorist attack on our soil on September 11, 2001, all those reasons, uh, all those are reasons why she should not be on a committee that is tasked with representing our country and our Congress to foreign but con governments. Congresswoman, but, 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 aren't you concerned? But, but how, would, how, would the, uh, how would our enemies get the information that we don't want them to have anyway? <laughs> aren't you concerned well, about a tit for tat? You know, the Democrats did it, then other Republicans are doing it. It's just going to go back and forth, this sort of punitive thing. Because, of course, you're going to disagree with your yeah, colleagues. Yeah, but you can't leave a person like that on the. Uh, uh, it's the same committee. thing, yeah, by the way. It's the same thing about Schiff and Starwell. Why are you putting them on the intelligence committee? Of course, they should be removed. Nicole. And there's a difference, right? We are not saying they shouldn't be on any committee when they removed our members. And by the way, I voted uh, to remove one of our own Republican members uh, from the Education Committee because they had a warped view of history and what occurred on September 11th. So I've been consistent. Uh, but the issue is, is that 
we are saying that she just can't be on these particular committees. They can serve on other committees. Somebody like Eric Swalwell, who had a relationship with a Chinese spy, couldn't get a security clearance in the private sector, should not be sitting on yeah. the Intel committee. Even I have we to have, concede that point. Uh, all of the world's <laughs> secrets. And neither should Adam Schiff after he used that information and lied to the American people claiming that he had privileged information. Well, we have so, we, um, we have Congressman King that sits on, on this panel here at the 5 o'clock show. He was on the same committee. He was on Homeland Security, and he saw Adam Schiff lie because he, he was in the same meeting that Adam Schiff was yeah. in on Homeland Security. And that is a very privileged position to be chairman yeah. of the Intelligence Committee. Yeah. Isn't that Intelligence right, Nicole? Committee. Intelligence yeah. Committee. Is in fact, uh, most members of Congress do not have access to the information shared in the Intel Committee. It is a special type of clearance. Uh, and so, again, we're not saying that they can't be on any committee, they just can't be on those committees. And that is very different than what they did two years ago when they removed Marjorie Taylor Greene from all her committee assignments. Hmm. So, other big topic in D.C. right now is the conversation between McCarthy and Biden over the debt ceiling. What do you think that people will get together? There will be a moment of kumbaya or is it hopeless? Well, if we're putting the country first, then there should be a, a, a point where we're coming together to resolve this issue. It's one thing to say that we need to pay our, our debt. We need to pay our bills. And that is correct. We should not be defaulting. Um, but at the same time, we need to be responsible and say, you know, we need to start putting ourselves on a path to reduce the deficit, to reduce our debt. And the only way we're going to do that is we put forward an economic plan as they have in the past. There have been eight occasions where they tied a uh, deficit reduction plan to the debt limit for responsible governing. And that is exactly what we're asking for. Remember, they, it, was just a year, it was just about a year ago that they increased the debt limit and they've already maxed out the credit cards again. And they did it on their own, and they had the opportunity to correct the debt limit then in December, and they chose not to. Now they're dumping it on Republicans' hands. Well, then they need to work with us to come forward with a solution that puts us on a path to start reducing our debt. Right now, our debt-to-GDP ratio is 121%. In 1980, the year I was born, it was around 35%. At the beginning of the century, it was about 60%. So that just shows you how far – uh, we are going here. It's completely unsustainable. We need to start correcting course. And people say, well, what would you look at cutting? Well, we've already said, quite frankly and quite clearly, despite what the Democrats are saying, that we want to preserve and protect Social Security and Medicare. But let's be honest, the spending, their spending is what's actually jeopardizing those programs because they're going to run out of funding in 2026 and 2031. What we need to do is start looking at discretionary spending, which they increased $400 billion or roughly 30% over the last couple of years. And we also need to look at all the waste and fraud and abuse in in spending. Look at the unemployment program, for example. They're estimating it could be upwards of half a trillion dollars that was stolen from the COVID relief packages. So, you know, that's the type of stuff that we're looking at. um, And we're not looking to hurt the beneficiaries of the mandatory programs. We're looking at discretionary. So what's the impact of the rising interest rates on the government debt? No, it's it, it's tremendous. Um, and it, 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 it continues to increase year after year. I think it's going to be about, it's scheduled to be about $1.2 trillion soon. 
Um, and and again, that's you know when we're you're not paying if you're just paying uh, barely making the payments of the debt, you're not paying down your your, your the interest, not paying down your debt. You know that is that is a major issue here, and that is why we're just simply saying work with us like responsible adults would. Look, anybody who's listening, right? If you have a child who took the credit card and they ran up the bill, you recognize that you you're responsible now to pay that bill. But you also want to correct the behavior so it does not happen again. And that is exactly what Republicans are saying. But President Biden says he's not going to negotiate. That's his position, isn't it, at the moment? Maybe it's just posturing. Well, it seems like he's starting after the meeting with uh, Speaker McCarthy. It seems that he's uh, trying to be a little more flexible on that. And that would be that would be the responsible thing to do. I think it's very irresponsible, very childish to come out of the gate saying we're not going to negotiate. If he didn't want to negotiate, then he should have increased the debt limit when he had Democrat control of everything in December. They chose not to do that. And so now we have a seat at the table and we expect to uh, have our concerns heard. And uh, look, I think the majority of Americans understand uh, that we can't continue down this path. Any business, any family, they know they have to live within their main means, and, and government just has to as well. Nicole, real quick, this is a really important question. Were you angry that Adams, Mayor Adams, didn't go to Staten Island for Groundhog's Day? Do you feel no, dissed? Does, does the borough feel dissed? New York City and didn't go look at the migrant crisis that we're facing. Yeah, yeah there we go. All right. All right. Touche. Nicole Maitakis, thank you so much for all your hard work and, and, and telling the people what's really going on. And we'll catch up with you real soon. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Laura Curran with the gang here at the studio, and we have a new guest who just walked in, John. And uh, I'll tell you, we got Steve Moore just walked into the studio, and you you can't make this up. We got everybody. We got the dream team. We have Governor David Patterson, Ed Cox, not Jim Jordan, but Jim Jacobs, which is much better. Judge Weinberg. 800 airplanes and net jets. Wow. (laughs) And he's very humble about it, which I appreciate. Uh, but Steve Moore, we don't, we want you, we want to know, you know, you're a top advisor, financial advisor to Trump, among many other things. What do you make of the economy right now? And particularly, are you concerned about this debt ceiling? So uh, good to be with you guys. By the way, there hasn't been as much brain power in this room since Larry Kudlow is here by himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, First of all, I am perplexed by this economy. I'd love everybody's thoughts about it. I've sort of given up figuring out what's going on here. The job market is very strong right now, no question about it. There are still about a 9 million excess jobs in the economy. So if you got a skill and you want a job, they're out there. Um, John and I were talking off the air about what the Fed is doing, continuing to lift rates. They've lifted rates now eight times, I think, John. And I was just looking at a chart. They, the interest rates now that the Fed is charging are higher than they've been any time in 15 years. So we have higher Fed rates, and that is going to hurt the mortgage market, obviously. It's well, going to it's, hurt housing. It's killing the real estate industry. Exactly. Yeah. It's killing new home builders. It's killing construction. 
so the real estate industry is 20% that is. of the United States economy. So, of course, if John, you raise interest but, rates high John, enough. But stop, mortgage, mortgage rates are starting to go down exactly. now. Okay. John, stop your crying. We are old enough to remember when the mortgage rates were 18%, not 6%. So, There's no, the Kleenex. But I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with your main point. And my, my biggest concern, what's keeping me up at night, Mm. is this massive $31.5 trillion debt. And, you know, when I came to Washington in 1984, any of you want to guess what the debt was in 1984? Ooh. $2 trillion. Yeah. I'm a, wow. What a genius this guy yeah. is. A little under $2 trillion. Let's say one point. It was close to $1.5 trillion, but you were pretty close. Now it's $31.5 trillion. Yeah. Can you believe this? I mean, what is going on? We're like a locomotive. That is speeding over a cliff. How does this and, end? And, uh, Steve, in, in 2000, we were $2.5 trillion in the black we at that were, time. You're right. We actually had had uh, we had we four huh. years of surpluses under Bill Clinton, a Democrat, sure, and a the, Republican. The era of big government was over, yeah, right? Yeah, well, he, you know, Bill Clinton was a, was a true centrist Democrat, in my opinion. I didn't like his personal behavior, but I liked what... What he did he with had the a lot of fun. But Joe Biden is no Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> Would you disagree with that? Not at all. <laughs> so tell us. Way, uh, he's saying, I'm not going to negotiate. He's sitting there like this. He's not negotiating with the Republicans. He's saying, we're going to raise the debt ceiling. John, Joe, Joe Biden, you know, you're my uh, open up the uh, oil spigots. He says he's going to open up Biden. Alaska for 650 or 660 uh, billion gallons or billion yeah, gallons, barrels. Yeah. barrels. barrels. Uh, for the next 30 years. Is that going to happen? No. Because, I mean, he's, he's because doing his Secretary of Interior, after the president said that, you ready for this? Is everybody sitting down? His Secretary of Interior, well, he hasn't spoken to me yet. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and he's the wow. one who does the permitting. They're not allowing any permits. So who's in charge? Yeah, right. Well, who knows? That's the question. I thought he said we we're going to go to zero fossil fuels by 2035. So which is it? You know, how are we going to go to well, zero maybe fossil fuels? You that cannot run this country on uh, on wind windmills. and yeah. uh, you, or at least you need a transition to get there, which takes decades. No, I'd say centuries. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yes. But look, I mean, we get 70 percent of our energy today. You know this, John. 70 percent of our energy comes from old fashioned fossil fuels. We're not going to go to zero. We should be doing this as a matter of secure, national security and economic security. And it would reduce the deficit. I mean, every time we would allow the drilling, the government can, can charge uh, drilling fees and that kind of thing. So so back to the debt ceiling. I've yeah. got a question for you. $31.4 trillion. Yeah. I, I can't even conceive of that. Uh, regular people hear That's that. That's even more money than John Katsimides has. It is. <laughs> regular people hear that, and, and they sort of semi-freak out, but then they don't know what to do with that information or what to do about it, and then they forget about it. So why is this such a big deal, and why should people care? Because right. it seems intangible. You're right. It's hard for people. Literally, people can't tell the difference, right, Governor, between a million, a billion, a trillion. I can't. You know, it's these numbers are so inconceivably yeah. high. I mean, a million dollars is a million million. I mean, a trillion dollars is, is a million, 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 million. Right. So that's, you know, we're talking about tw one, how many zeros in, a, in the um, trillion? Anybody know? A lot. <laughs> that's a Twelve. good answer. Twelve. Now, Twelve. Now, Twelve zeros. We were talking about, uh, Steve Moore, before we were talking about how all the money was getting delivered to Iran. And they had 747s full of $100 bills. They had uh, pounds and everything. Have you seen the pictures of all those bills? I have not seen that. It was uh, pallets for of mean, money. I thought the money was going to Ukraine. No, this is I'm talking about the, the war. 
This is the Iran deal you're talking this about. Is, yeah. This is the, the Obama days. This is the Obama days. We were yeah. paying off the Iranians for, for stopping And the then the Iranians armors. were taking the money and feeding it to Hamas. And, and Hezbollah. Terrorists. And Hezbollah. Yeah. Sounds like a And by movie. the way, that's a deal that will not die. They're still pushing for that deal. They're having sub conversations as we speak on resurrecting that Iran deal. Have you ever heard anything more foolish in your life? Well, why are we spending money, sending money to anybody? We're broke. We're broke. We don't have money. No, to be because we no. It's, see, you don't. People don't realize we print the hundred dollar bills, and nobody objects to it. What percentage of uh, of the hundred percent currency in the world? What percentage is uh, United States money? That's a good question. Do you know the answer? I don't know. I knew the answer. I don't know it anymore. I, would, I thought yeah, it was close. I, guess, to, I thought yeah. it was like eighty-eight percent. That high? Yeah. Yeah. I was Wait, that dollars are eighty-eight percent of the entire world's yeah, the yeah, currency of all the world. Yeah. It's the one we are the world reserve. We are currency. the world reserve. Huh. Yeah. So, I mean, now if you were sitting. By the way, the we cannot of, forfeit that status. We we, five, we are advantaged by the fact that everybody wants dollars. There's five currencies: uh, dollars, Euro. Uh, British pounds, yes, Euro. So, yeah, uh, yen, one. Don't forget the Swiss the francs. Dollar. Yeah, Swiss now, francs. Uh, of mm. all those monies, which one would you rather have? The dollar. Okay, that's yeah. it. So, so you can print up as many as you want. The and, world and, is allowing us to print up as much as we want. So they're enablers yes. of our dysfunction. <laughs> so, well, you know, the way I put it is we're the re- least rotten apple in the cart, right? So, you know... Wow. The, but there are new. I mean, jobs. I don't want. Yeah, new, I don't want. I don't want. I, I don't want Australian dollars. I don't right. want. You know. But what about crypto? You know, why are people buying cryptos? cryptos? Because they. It's want. a good way to go broke. By yeah. the way, you move. You, move. <laughs> you, you see so, how the bitcoins keep going up? They're getting all the crooked prime ministers and presidents of countries to keep buying in. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not. You're not sold on cryptos. So, so Steve. So Steve. The uh, the Fed's no longer buying dollars, right? They're no longer taking bonds. They're, ta- they're, they're, they're no longer supposedly reducing their balance sheet. Right, yeah. as of September, last September. Yeah. But only so by a little bit. So who's going to be buying U.S. Treasury bills and bonds? You Japan and I are, is not. They're selling. China is selling. Yeah. Who's going to be buying? But the interest rates, well, look, they, you know, if people stop buying them, what do they have to do? They have to raise the interest rate on them, right? I mean, this yeah. is just the law of supply and demand. And what worries me is if those interest rates go up, gentlemen, uh, lady, um, then what happens is every one percentage point increase in the interest rate yep. on the bonds increases the debt by a trillion dollars. Holy so Moses. Like, yeah. So we're like a tiger chasing. Its so what tail. do we do? What's the way out of this? Or Cut is there no way government out? spending? Grow the economy. You know, I had I, I had so much fun last night. I had you're not going to believe this. I had dinner with John Katzatomides. Did I say that right? I can't say my name right. That's close. It's he close. Cats right. for sure. And I, yeah. and tell tell about, all the people in the room. Give us an inventory of the people in the room. We had Larry Kudlow. We yes. had Arthur Laffer. We had Steve Forbes. We had Maria Bartiroma. We had, who am I missing? I mean, there's so many great people there, and it was just so much fun. Uh, and, and there was a lot of brain power in that huh. room. And we all agreed. Grow the economy. Make America more prosperous. That means more tax revenues. That means everybody's happy, less less poverty in America, deregulate the economy, produce American energy, stable dollar. I'm just reading right off of the Larry Kudlow playbook there. But those those policies will work. Well, thank you, Steve Moore. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. On the line, we have former New York State Assemblyman Colin Schmidt. Uh, and I think, Colin, Ed Cox has got a couple questions for you. Colin, great. you were a great hey, member Ed. of the Assembly. You ran a superb race for Congress and barely lost. And now you're thinking of being chairman of the state party. Tell us what your vision yes. for the state party is. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on, Ed. And it comes down to resources, reinvestment, and resolve. There is no reason for the New York Republican Party not to get to the next level. We are the reason that there is a House Republican majority. It runs through New York. We are just a seat away from breaking the Democrat supermajority in the state Senate and three seats away from breaking the Democrat supermajority in the state assembly with a robust push to to, to raise the resources necessary and then reinvest that into a field plan, into an ability to ensure we're reaching voters of all different ages, of all different demographics, that we get our early voting operation going, which uh, has been a struggle for Republicans nationally, but to turn that around here in New York, uh, to make sure that we have a communication strategy that is statewide, that ensures we hold local Hakeem Jeffries and Schumer accountable while showing why New York Republicans have a vision of leadership to keep our communities safe, to keep and make our state affordable and make sure it's a place where everybody can live, work and prosper. The New York Republican Party needs to be dedicated to that. And as chairman, I have the experience at the federal, state and local level to be able to deliver that and to deliver wins for our party and for our policy positions. Ed. Now, there's no question you can raise money. What did you raise in your congressional race? How much? Uh, we raised over $2 million, and we had the uh, most expensive, most money spent against us in any other race in the state. So the money that you raised for the uh, NYGOP, how would you spend it? What would you invest in? Uh, it is critical that we have a fully functioning field program. That's something I've heard from chairs and local candidates, build out a statewide operation that can uh, drive voter contacts, that can drive get out the vote, uh, then also a, a robust social media and communications uh, system, something that can be utilized by local candidates, county committees, uh, something that can be used to raise money and to, to raise awareness, raise attention, and make voter contact. We do deep dives in those areas, which would help the state committee, but again, all resources would look to build out systems that not only help state committee, but then can be segmented out for our county committees and for our candidates from the statewide level down to the most local level. Colin, good luck with your quest. We will all be watching. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Next on the line, we have Michael Goodwin of the New York Post. Michael, you have been writing a lot about migrants. I believe today's column... uh, you, you focus on that, if I, if I can remember correctly. And one thing that really strikes me is how I, I see these activists using these migrants in New York City as pawns for their own goals. And to me, this feels exploitative and cruel. What do you think? Well, I, I think that's a good point. Um, I think that they are their goals that they're using the migrants for is essentially open border uh, unlimited kind of social leaning policies of housing, food, free this, free that. And they have brought, and look, first, is, 
it starts below the border where many of the lawyers go into Mexico and help the uh, migrants uh, claim asylum. They teach them how to claim asylum. And so they are knowing that most of them will not succeed, but they will be allowed in the country, uh, be allowed to wait in the United States for really five, six, seven years until their court case is called. And then who knows how many of them will show up and and virtually, you know, maybe 15 percent of them would qualify if history is any sign of the future. And so most of them are here for economic reasons, and that's not what the asylum law is about. It's about persecution on several different for several different categories. So, yes, you're right. This is a this is a concocted thing that has been abetted by the policies of the Biden administration, which is has made this rule that they can come and wait and that they will be sent around the country or, you know, that the advocate I mean, the federal government is funding many of the advocates and many of the charities that are taking care of the migrants once they get here. Then, of course, we see in New York City, it's really up to the city to feed them, house them, clothe them, medical care, education. I mean, it's it's an extraordinary sense of entitlement that these migrants are now demanding to stay in midtown hotels instead of going to congregate shelter or larger settings. And, Michael, this is David Patterson. What's interesting is there are a lot of homeless people around that hotel, and the migrants, for some reason, think they should cherry-pick where they're staying when the homeless people were here long before they got here are still struggling. And the homeless people might be vets, and they might be Amer- they're American citizens. Exactly. So for whom do the bells toll? <laughs> well, that. They, 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 right now, they toll loudest for the migrants, and that's one of the problems, that they have jumped the system, they've jumped the line. Um, look, there, there is this advocacy within the city council, and as I recount in the column, if you go back a bit, Mayor Adams, whom I think aired by a large measure by inviting so many and declaring New York a sanctuary city for this purpose – Mayor Adams talked about these tent cities. Remember, the first one was going to be in Orchard Beach in the Bronx. Uh, that one went up and was taken down. After a we built it and paid for it. Yes. Well, that's right. But but then the city council has been undercutting him in another way. The city council has been arguing, no, 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 you, you can't uh, use tents. You've got to put them in hotels. And, and you have to put them on the waiting list for permanent housing. So... New York cannot possibly provide enough permanent uh, subsidized housing for the 60,000 homeless already effectively on these waiting lists. Uh, and now it's going to bring already another 45,000 migrants and put them on the same list. I mean, this is, this is insanity, what's going on. I mean, this is going to destroy, further destroy the quality of life. And look, this money is coming out of the existing budget so far. And everything that, that you do in this way, uh, you, you're taking from somebody else. You're taking from the taxpayers, first of all, but then you're taking also from the people who really need the help who were here before. And so this idea that the migrants, of course, they're needy people. And of course, uh, 
America has been the most generous country in the history of the world in terms of uh, welcoming immigrants. But there has to be a system. There has to be some control. There has to be vetting. Uh, I mean, this has been a stampede across the board. Thousands of migrants have died making the trek from Central America. Where's the compassion for that? So mm. I think the idea that this is a compassionate move is doubly uh, or deeply misguided. Michael, I'm also troubled by something you just referenced, which is booking people in Midtown hotels. That will destroy the economy of Manhattan, which is the economic engine for the state. If you disrupt the economy of Midtown and you have all these people who don't have gainful employment, what do we do about that? Well, I'll give you another example. The hotels, which would normally be housing tourists. Uh, the city has been trying to get its tourist business back up and running after COVID. Uh, it's made a lot of progress. But you've just taken a lot of these hotels offline. There are a number of them now. Uh, I write about the two of them. Uh, the uh, the one uh, on 8th Avenue uh, called The Row, used to be called the Milford Plaza, fairly well known for all the television commercials it used to do. Mm. That was a big tourist hotel. Uh, there are others that are in the same predicament now that are totally given over. Uh, the city is paying a fortune to, for these rooms. Uh, and no wonder the uh, the migrants don't want to go to a shelter or to a cruise ship terminal. They got a they got a hotel room in midtown Manhattan for free. They got free food, free transportation. I mean, there are reports that many of them are working off the books. You know, they're not allowed to work. They're work so they're taking jobs from other New Yorkers, presumably. Michael, so, we've got less than a minute left. I just have one more question. So on the cover of, the, of your paper, the New York Post today, was Hunter Biden admitting, yep, it is my laptop. Do you think this changes how Congress will investigate the whole laptop and what's in it? Look, uh, I would be an optimist if I said yes. Uh, I think neither the media nor the Democrats in Congress will change an iota. They, they know it's his laptop. They've known it all along, or at least for years, and they have not treated it seriously. This, hmm. is, this is a big event, but only for those who, who believe that something serious has happened here with the Biden family. Thank you, Michael Goodwin. Thank you for getting the truth out to all American people, and you do God's work. Thank you so much. And what do we stand for in this show? Truth, truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way. God bless America. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.